Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I am your host, James Rogers, and each week, twice a week, we bring you brand new military histories. We like to say we are on the front lines of military history on this podcast and this week is no different at all. We're also on the front lines of your history rankings I guess because around the world this week we have seen that uh, the History Hit Warfare podcast is amongst the top charted in Australia. So thank you so much for all of you on the other side of the world. We've got a really special episode coming for you in January so keep your eyes and ears open for that one. But this podcast is one that's going to appeal to all of you no matter where you are. It's on the history of the USS Arizona, which was sunk at Pearl Harbor 80 years ago. It was the greatest loss of life in US naval history. It's an interesting one for me because I've spent the week working with NATO, looking at the history of war and technologies and what that can tell us about what the future of war is going to look like. And one of the things about Pearl Harbor was that the US military hadn't come to grips with the latest torpedo technologies that could be used in shallow water that made Pearl Pearl Harbor vulnerable. So it is an important lesson about keeping up to date with what your enemy has. And to help us dive into the impact of this, we have the fantastic filmmakers Warren and Annette Hull, who have interviewed numerous survivors of Pearl Harbor, and they've dived into the experience of Navy Band Unit 22 that helps us illuminate this tragic day. They also show us some previously unknown and hidden aspects of this history that have helped them rewrite the tale of Pearl Harbor. It really is a special episode. I know you're going to love it. So please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us to get out to all of you who love history and helps us to shoot up the charts wherever you are in the world. Also, it's great to see so many of you getting in contact. Email us, warfare at historyhit.com. We love to hear from you. Tell us what episodes you want to hear next. Tell us your family histories. But now, here is Warren and Annette Hull on the USS Arizona. Hi, Annette and Warren. Welcome to the History Hit Warfare podcast. How are you doing today? Great. We are great. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Not a problem at all. It is that important time of the year. I mean, after eight decades for us to commemorate this day that will and has lived in infamy in the United States. This is Pearl Harbor, of course, and that surprise attack by the Japanese Empire. But there's one specific part of the attack on Pearl Harbor that you've both dedicated so much of your time and your lives to telling. And this is the story of the USS Arizona. So what is it about this history that has drawn you to it, that has made you focus on this as part of your work? Sure. 
When we first visited the USS Arizona, both Annette and I were working at a high school up in eastern Washington, and we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii with them. They were performing in the holiday parade, and one of the events that they had on their agenda was a visit to the USS Arizona Memorial. Now, in case there are a few people out there who don't understand the significance of that event, is that the USS Arizona was obviously the uh, flashpoint for the United States in getting us involved in World War II when the Japanese attacked and bombed Oahu. And the Arizona was the most significant casualty of the time. Uh, Bomb came down, went through six decks, hit the ammunition holding area, uh, exploded. And when it exploded, it took 1,177 lives with it. So a very solemn place. And and if you've ever been around teenagers, you know, your big concern is how are they going to behave in this, not only monument, but this hallowed resting place for these souls. And to our absolute amazement, these kids were unbelievably respectful, unbelievably just in the moment. And they truly took in what that meant. And I think that planted the seed for us to be interested in the Arizona later down the road. Now, fast forward 10 years, 15 years, we had decided to start a production company. And we knew we wanted to do a project, but we knew that we weren't big enough yet to do a feature film. So we thought, what can we do? Well, I had written a script on the Arizona based off of a musician. So we had started to research the band. And it was just an amazing story and one that had never been explored. There were a lot of myths out there about the band that Annette will talk to in a second here. But we made that decision that we're going to do a documentary film on the USS Arizona band. And with that, we got into the history of the Arizona and, you know, just how amazing it was. Yeah, and then like one interview led to another interview and then to another interview. And we just became more and more entrenched in the Arizona and learning everything we could about that. So how many interviews have you been able to do over the years with survivors of Pearl Harbor? Well, unfortunately, we've lost a couple. But first, we interviewed Frank Emond, who actually was on the USS Pennsylvania. They were in dry dock during the attack. But he was a musician there, and we interviewed him. He was 100 years old when we interviewed him. He is still alive at 103 years old. Matter of fact, he is now in Hawaii and attended the Remembrance Ceremony and is still leading bands at 103. He's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Phenomenal. Another one was Lou Conter, who is now 100 years old. And he is still alive and going. He's one of two members that are still alive. And with Lou, we interviewed him and we just, both Warren and I looked at each other and said, has anybody written a book or done anything on you? And he's like, no, why would anybody want to do a story on me? And that led to us writing Lou's book and telling his story. So, uh... Those band interviews, you know, as we got going, and as Annette said, one interview led to another. We also ended up interviewing Donald Stratton, who passed away last year, and then Lauren Bruner, who uh, in 2019, we attended Lauren's internment 
aboard the Arizona, and that was the last time that Lou went as well. So we ended up interviewing four survivors. Right, and then we did a fifth, which was a gal named Pat Thompson, who was 10 years old when the bombs hit. And a great story about Pat is the night before at Block Arena, she won the Jitterbug contest. And this was during the Battle of Music. So what happened was Fleet Services decided that they were going to hold these band competitions. And the Arizona band did not play that night. They had advanced to the finals. So the bands were out there, but Annette can finish up her story. So, yeah, she went ahead and she was 10 years old. They picked her out of the stand and they said, do you want to do the Jitterbug contest? And she said, oh, for sure. And she was met up with a guy named Jack and they ended up winning that Jitterbug contest. Now, that night also is when Frank Emond, the gentleman from the USS Pennsylvania, he played that night. So they eventually met later on. But it was just a great story of them coming together. The gentleman that she danced with, Jack, she ended up meeting him almost 40, 50 years later. And he only lived 10 minutes from her house. So it was ironic that they were together. And since then, Jack has passed. But Pat had the opportunity to meet with him and to dance with him again. So it's an amazing converging of histories. And this is what happens, isn't it? Once you start getting to one survivor, you get led to others and a snowballing effect happens. And you start to piece together the fragments of this history to tell a more broader, deeper picture. And I saw your film A Band to Honour. And one thing that fascinated me about this is that, I don't know if this is what you were trying to get across, but it comes to epitomise service and sacrifice and the devastating cost to many of the young men's lives that were lost during Pearl Harbour. Is this one of the things you wanted to get across with this film? Why was it you focused on the band? I think one thing is people didn't even know that these ships had bands. So that was a story that was not out there. And we really wanted to hone in on that. And not only do we want to focus on their service and what they did for our country, but we also addressed how it impacted the families. For example, what you saw in the film was with Clyde Williams and how it impacted them that, you know, they got that telegram on December 20th saying that Clyde cannot be found. And so with that, the family's like, we're done with Christmas. He threw the Christmas tree in the, the backyard dad, yeah. and they didn't celebrate Christmas. So how many other families were affected by that? And then they didn't find out till mid-February that Clyde was declared dead. So, you yeah. know, we just really wanted to take people on this journey to know that not only these servicemen, but also their families were impacted. Yeah, and from the musical side of things, even we didn't understand going in that we had the band, you know, great. They, they get on ship, they play for everybody, but they're also part of the crew so they have other duties outside of just being musicians and as you saw in the film their job was the powder handling room and uh, you know it's down there with all the gunpowder and when they went to their battle stations you know that was where they went and very few people knew that they also had those auxiliary positions which were really their primary positions during battle and, you know, they trained for it. And, you know, the Arizona band was only with the uh, Arizona for about six months. 
before the attack on Pearl Harbor. They had just finished school that spring and had been put out into the fleet. So, you know, we just wanted to show people, and it hits home when you stand before that wall and you look upon those names, and you've just got to understand that behind every one of those names is a story. And those are stories, unfortunately, that ended on December 7th, 1941. We always talk about what's between the dashes on a headstone. You know, when your birthday is and how much time you get before the dash and then the final year. And for some of these kids, you know, they were 16, 17, 18 years of age. And, you know, we just wanted to tell something that was unique, tell something that touched us. And uh, music is so important in everything. Just casual listening, go to a film and not have music in a film and see the difference that that makes. So the musical component was really one that drew us to the specifics of the band, which then increased our knowledge tremendously on the Arizona itself for history. And that was our goal. Take us through a little bit of that history, Warren. Take us through that day, because like you say, the band, the music, it's almost like it's the lifeblood of a ship, especially in any Navy around the world. And it does seem like the, the perfect way, the lens to take us through what happened on that day. So first of all, why was the Arizona so vulnerable? Well, when you look at Pearl Harbor itself, it wasn't really conducive to being a good defensive port. The decision was made by the higher-ups to move the fleet from San Diego to Pearl Harbor. And it had been done, I believe, the year before that. And the thought was, you know, with the Japanese expansion, I think they primarily thought the main target was going to be Midway for a Japanese attack. And it wasn't. You know, the Japanese had broader plans and you know, they attacked the Philippines, they attacked a lot of the Pacific area, the same time they did Pearl Harbor. And when you look at the logistics of coming from Japan to Hawaii, it's just unbelievable how that was accomplished logistically. It really was quite a feat. And I think we have a hard time with that now because of the technology that we have. Heck, if we want to see what the weather's like in Japan, we go to www.weather.com and you know you can look in and see where the winds are where the rain is you know and with the technology that we have you can pick up a rowboat in the middle of the pacific if it's moving and we just didn't have that technology then you know uh, radar was just coming into play so the japanese attack on pearl harbor wasn't as successful as people thought it was it was devastating and it was a horrific first day but overall, you know, the fleet lost two of the battleships, and that was the Arizona and the Oklahoma, and a few auxiliary ships as well. But all the other ships there were repaired and put into battle later down the road. The Japanese were trying to destroy the United States' military might, and it was a great attack. But like Admiral Yamamoto stated, I fear we have just awoken a sleeping giant. And that's what they did with the attack on Pearl Harbor. Right. And I also think they thought that they were going to be aircraft carriers there. And there were none. Yes, so course. that was quite a surprise for them. Out on exercise, weren't they? 
Yes, so they were out and about. And it was really weird because like Lou Conter had said too, there were some questions as to why all the battleships were in port because they usually didn't do that. They usually put out four at a time. Four would be at sea, four would be in port. And they were originally supposed to go out till December 8th, but they came back on the 5th. Lou was in a unique position and he was on the bridge. And Admiral Kidd was the overall admiral of the fleet and of that task force, and uh, Captain Van Valkenburg was the captain of the Arizona, and Lou had mentioned on a couple of occasions that neither one of them were happy about bringing in their four battleships, but those were the orders. You gotta keep to those orders, that's the point of the Navy, you do what you're told. What did Tudor men like their women to look like? They should have broad shoulders, fleshy arms, fleshy legs, and broad hips. What did 17th century Londoners think of coffee? A syrup of soot and the essence of old shoes. And what did executioners wear? A lot of these guys, they were clothes horses because it's a big public spectacle. All the eyes are on you. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and in my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, we talk about everything from monasteries to the Medici, Sex to spying, wardrobes to witch trials. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. (laughs) 
So for nearly two hours at this point, we have more than 350 Japanese aircraft, which include torpedo planes, bombers and fighters, dropping bombs on US vessels. And it was around 8.10am that the Arizona is struck by this one and a half thousand, perhaps more pound projectile. Tell me, what is the band doing during this time? How do they react initially? How do they react to the attack? Well, according to Luke Hunter, who witnessed the band, they were just going to play Morning Colors when the attack began. And he saw them drop their instruments and head down to the powder handling room. And so they were down there when that bomb hit. And probably as soon as that hit, they were killed instantly. Yeah. Daniel Martinez, the historian, says in the documentary, you know, in that moment that the bomb struck, they were vaporized and they didn't know what had hit them. You know, a combination of the powder and the ammunition that was there, it was instantaneous. That was the only blessing. Now, we do know that there were three band members that were not at their duty stations. And that can happen during a time of war. They were probably headed to their battle stations with their fellow bandmates, but three of those bodies were recovered, meaning that they were somewhere else. They were probably manning a gun, going somewhere else. Yeah, we just don't we, know. Yeah, the three are uh, Gerald Cox, who's at the National Cemetery Punchbowl in Hawaii, Robert Shaw, who's at the Oahu Cemetery, and then Jack Leo Scruggs, who a uh, couple years later was shipped back to his home in Long Beach. Yeah, tough thing. It's amazing that you've been able to learn so much about those minute details as well, because it's hard to find out about what happens in such a hectic, desperate, frightening attack and to know where people are, what they're doing and where they're going. And there's something sadly poetic about the heart of this ship being at the heart of the explosion when it happens in that ammunition room, in that powder room when it goes off. Tell me a little bit more about these key individuals, because I think our listeners would really love to hear about these today. I know that you've focused a lot on Lou Contour in your work. What is it about Lou that makes him so special, such a standout key figure to focus on in terms of this history? Well, you know, in terms of history, Lou is just, when we interviewed him, we were specific to the band. But as that relationship or as that interview continued, as Annette shared earlier, we just became more and more fascinated by him. Now, what Lou brought to the table in regard to the band's story is he's the only eyewitness to what took place. And if you've done any kind of investigations, you'll know that, hey, you can gather a whole lot of stuff by looking at circumstantial evidence and piece things together. But when you have an eyewitness that can give you details that when the attack occurred, I saw them drop their instruments and run to their duty station. That's powerful. That really is because what they originally thought for years and years the rumor was that the band had played so well the night before at the Battle of Music that the captain told them to sleep in, enjoy their Sunday, and that they all died in their hammocks. And the other misconception is that the Arizona was immediately blown up. You know, it was the first bomb dropped, it blew up the Arizona, so the band members were asleep when the bomb hit, and they didn't feel anything. 
And, you know, it wasn't that way. They were alive for about 20 minutes. And uh, nobody's going to sleep during battle stations call on a ship. None of them were sleeping in their bunks like a lot of news when it said the band was playing the night before. So they were sleeping in their bunks and so they all got killed. But it was a bunch of crap. So the first bomb that came across resided at General Quarters. They laid down their instruments and ran to the General Quarters station. And we, we were alive for about 12 minutes on the ship before it blew up. Every band member went to their battle station but they were all at their battle stations, everyone. So that was one of the myths that were out there. And it was ironic because the Park Service actually had a video of that situation where they talk about the Arizona in the Day of Infamy. And they had even mentioned in there that the band was asleep in their decks and in their hammocks. And Molly Kent, who's Clyde Williams' sister, she wrote the uh, book about NBU-22. She was appalled by that. And that is what got her to write the book to set the record straight. And then we actually interviewed Molly Kent, Clyde Williams' sister. And, I mean, she was thrilled we did this documentary. But, you know, we also wanted to get the word out about that misconception that, you know, they did go to their battle stations and... Lou was yeah. just amazing. It's, we had interviewed uh, one of the survivors of Pearl Harbor, and it just was, you know, he was almost 100 years old, and he struggled with things. He had been to the point where he'd had a stroke, so the information that we got from him was very limited. With Lou, you know, it was, hey, at 7.51, this happened. At 7.55, this happened, we did this, we did that. His recall was phenomenal. His recall was phenomenal. Yeah. So that's why he's a big player. And then the other huge, huge person was Michael Bays. Yeah. With Michael Bays, Michael Bays is the uh, chief musician for the United States Navy Band. And he basically does the historical piece of what Navy music is about. So we were really blessed to have him as part of our documentary. So getting back to Lou, what makes Lou so interesting is the fact that the attack on the Arizona was just one day. He did so much after that. So before the Arizona was attacked, he had taken the exam to go to flight school. And so after the Arizona attack, he ended up going two weeks later to Pensacola, Florida to begin flight school and begin in, I think that was in January, February. And then by November, he was flying the Black Cats, the PBYs in the Pacific. So he went back to Hawaii and then went to and flew New Guinea, was shot down twice, survived. Once by us, yeah, once, once by the Americans. <laughs> yeah, once. Little friendly fire. Little friendly fire. The other was by the Japanese. Yeah, he had just an amazing career. And, you know, we would encourage you to take a look at the Lou Conter story. And you'll just be amazed. He went on to become the developer of SEER training, which is survival, evasion, resistance, resistance and escape. And so all the training that the military does now from all facets, either the Army, the Navy, the Marines, and the Air Force, they all basically go through the school that Lou started. And he went on later to advise presidents. 
He worked under Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson. He had, he was one of the ones that advised Kennedy to not go into Vietnam. And, uh, you know, later down the road, he ended up marrying a gal whose sister was married to Jack Warner of Warner Brothers Studios. So he's a Hollywood socialite to some regard in that just his life in general, he hung out and played golf in these PGA tournaments in Palm Springs with the Rat Pack guys, you know, the Joey Bishops, the Peter Lawfords, the Frank Sinatras. And just Lou turned out to be a very colorful human being that had he held his original job, he wouldn't be with us. He was also assigned to the powder handling room when he first came aboard the Arizona. And a transfer came into play with Lou because he was so studious. He liked reading books on different parts of the ship. And that got him promoted. To quartermaster. So he went up on the bridge with captain, learned how to park the ship. And another interesting tidbit is Lou is the last one yeah. to actually help navigate the ship into the mooring queue. Yep. And he didn't know that would be the last time. And that's where the Arizona would sit today. And one thing about Lou, he never sees himself as a hero. He always says, I was just doing my job. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so endearing about this man. He was just doing his job. So tremendous eyewitness to the account. Tremendous human being that you just are like so thankful that Lou was one of the ones that survived. And you just wonder what those other kids who perished that day, what they could have accomplished with their life had they lived. Well, you've most certainly answered my question on why Luconta, I'll tell you that for certain. And thank you so much for dispelling so many myths about this history and actually rewriting the history so we can learn about it correctly and the heroic role that the band played. And now so many of them rest there today with around 900 others, I believe, in this war grave where they sit. What's it like there today? Because I've not been to the Pearl Harbor Memorial or the Arizona Memorial. I was meant to head over there in March 2020, but something happened. I can't know if you can remember what happened to the world. But um, I can imagine it being somewhat tantamount to going to the 9-11 Memorial. And it's strange, isn't it, that this year we're commemorating 20 years since that other surprise attack, 9-11. And it was 80 years ago that it was Pearl Harbor. And in my work, I study one person who learnt lots of lessons from Pearl Harbor, Roberta Wallstatter, who was a key nuclear strategist. And she was showing how the US remained very much at risk from surprise attack. And she was actually brought in to advise President Bush just after Pearl Harbor as well in the last years of her life. So for me, there's always been a connection between the two intellectually. And I was just wondering for you if there is kind of an emotional connection between the two when you visit that site. Well, I will tell you, we had the opportunity mm. when we were filming the documentary, along with our park escort, to board the memorial. And it was just us. This experience was very emotional. I did all the filming, so it was tough for me because I really had to get focused on filming, but it was emotional. And the last time we were on the memorial, we were with uh, Lauren Bruner's internment. And that was emotional too because we knew Lauren and to see his ashes go down into the wreck and to be a part you know, of his family and friends, that was another powerful, powerful moment. Yeah. I think that when people go onto the ship, you really don't know what to expect. And you enter the memorial and you go into the viewing rooms. And before you get to the memorial wall, 
you know, you look over the ship and you can see part of the outline. It depends on, you know, how the wind's blowing, but you can actually see the vessel. Oil still comes up after 80 years. It's still dripping oil. And then you go into that wall. And when you look upon that marble and you see those names up there, it really hits home. And like I said, I thought it would skip a generation or it would start to dwindle. You know, World War II has a special place for me in that my father was in the army and uh, he was in the European campaign. And he was such a quiet man about his experiences. You know, there was a man who helped liberate Dachau and was one of the first troops in there. Tough to get through that one. Yeah, that's what you'll experience when you look at the wall. And, you know, you see some of the guys that were there. Like when we went, they still had a number of survivors of that day, not of the Arizona, because as we said, Lou was the only one that was an Arizona survivor. But those other guys that were on the island, you know, that were on Ford Island, that were somewhere on another ship, to see them stand before that wall and search the names for somebody that was a friend. Right, and I think another impact for us, another experience we had was in 2019 when we went with Lou to Pearl Harbor. And when Lou travels to Pearl Harbor, he has about 40 to 50 people with him. So we were lucky that we were able to get onto the boat to go out to Pearl Harbor with his group, his family and his friends. They call it the contourage versus an entourage. He had the contourage. Yeah. So what they do is everybody sits back while Lou goes in to the memorial room, to the By wall. Yeah. And he goes from one end to the other and he thanks everybody for their service. And like what he says, he goes, they're the heroes. They gave the lives. Again, yeah. he says, I just did my job. But to see him salute these names... Very powerful. Oh, my gosh. That's probably... Takes your breath away. Yeah, that definitely took our breaths away. Well, thank you both so much for telling us about the history of the USS Arizona through the lens of Lou and the Arizona Band, the band that trained together, practiced together, performed together, lived together, and died together on December 7th, 1941. So tell us, Annette and Warren, where can we learn more about the ship, the band, and Lou's remarkable career? All right, so our website for A Band to Honor is just www.abandtohonor.com. We're also A Band to Honor on Facebook and on Instagram. Lou, we have a Facebook page for him, and it's under the Lou Contour Story. And on his Facebook, we try to all the new information, whether he's done interviews or newspaper articles we try to put all that on there so and keep him relevant you know and keep telling his story amazing we'll make sure we put links to that in the show descriptions thank you both for coming on the podcast thank you for having us james if you're enjoying this podcast and you're looking for more fascinating warfare content then go and subscribe to our warfare wednesdays newsletter just follow the link in the show notes to find out more
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.